across the honest pod with Carrie Garcia and Shara House where our hope is to create a safe space to share stories that foster healing hope and the honesty needed to live free and fully alive and now for this week's episode of the honest pod Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Honest Pod. It has been such a wild ride with all of you guys this past couple of weeks because I've been talking about stuff that's been going on with me and Shara was on last week talking about self-sabotage and just, I don't know, I feel like it's just been this week of, or a couple of weeks of really diving into well, gosh, the honest places of our hearts. And you guys have been along for the ride. Your comments and your questions have been so, just so good. And I just am so excited to bring more, just more truth and just more honesty to the places of your heart where this podcast might find you today. And today I'm so excited because I get to have my dear friend on. Her name is Kate Warman. Kate, say hi. Hi, Carrie. I'm so happy to be here. I'm seriously so happy. I like really am. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be a good, a good few moments together yeah. because we just got done doing a little Instagram live um and sharing. And honestly, I was like, we actually have to stop this because I'm gonna give away all the good stuff for the honest spot because it was just getting so good within a few minutes of talking, boom, we were in it. Because you just don't shy away from you're not trying to to fake it. Like, no. oh my gosh, no girl. Right, <laughs> we're, right. We're being honest over here. I'm like, That's right. yes, I went through a breakup in the fall of 2020. We could talk about anything we want today, Carrie. Let's just go there. Let's just go there. Well, before we get into some of the story and where kind of where you've been on your journey, I do want to just like, here's the deal. Kate just wrote a book. And if any of you have been in the writing stages or are going to write or have written, you know what a big deal. I mean, how long has this baby been out in the world? It's been out for literally today. It's been one week, girl. Exactly one week. I'm like, <laughs> one week anniversary. Do we have like a celebration every week? You know, like when someone has a baby and they're like, she's one week old. And the next yeah. week, she's two weeks old. Yeah. I'm like, that's what I feel like I want to do. <laughs> you should every single week do the like, you know, the little baby yeah. thing where it has the blanket and it marks the week, but just have exactly. the book. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. Wait, that would be hysterical. That I'm honestly so good. considering it. I'm going on Amazon Prime after this and finding one of those little baby <laughs> things. <laughs> It'd be so good. So the book is called Thank You for Rejecting Me. And so curious, this title, because, yeah. you know, what I love the tag, transform your pain into purpose and learn to fight for yourself, which here at the Honest Pod and everything I put my hands on, so often we use turn your pain into purpose. It's like, I, this book is like right up our alley. And I know all of our, we have a crew on here called the 11 listeners. Cause I can't handle anybody more than 11 people following me or listening to me. It's just too much for my brain. So <laughs> the 11 listeners are the mighty 11 that are on here. And that is so our languaging. So how did you come up with the title? Was that you? Was that your publisher? Like, were you like, thank you for rejecting me? Yes. Put it on a book. Oh girl. I'll be okay. So we're doing the honesty hour, the coming up right. with the title for a 
book on rejection was probably the hardest part of the process. I uh, bet. Because, you know, there were lots of things. It's either we're going in the direction of rejected. So something that's just in your face, the one word titles are really in right now. And mm-hmm. that was a contender, just like calling it rejected with the similar t- subtitle. Uh, and then on the other hand, there were like, titles that were like, you know, rejection is redirection or just something that's more, uh, it sounds more self-helpy. And so I was like, yeah, "Yeah." it's like that it's happy. And I was just like, I, I did polls with my audience. I was like, guys, I need your help. But honestly, Carrie, none of it was landing. So I did this week. It was honestly, basically a year ago that I did this. It was down to the wire. They're like, you have to make a decision on what this Mm -hmm. book is going to be called. And I was like, I don't know. Like nothing is sitting with, with me. I'm not peaceful Mm -hmm. about any of these titles. And so I did this poll. I got some of the winners. And then even with the winners, I was like, I'm not, I'm not here for it. I was like, God, I need you to show up in this moment. I just, if this, if it's not supposed to be one of these, will you just reveal something new? And girl, I was on Instagram scrolling and I see this illustration and it just, and in her caption, she said something about, thank you for rejecting me. And I was like, that's it. This is it. That is, it's going to be that because the reason why I love it is because, you know, it has an an ode to an empowerment within it, but it Mm -hmm. also, it's not something you'd be afraid to bring on an airplane and read, you know, like the the book that just says rejected. I'm like, I would not want to read that on a plane next to anybody. Like, 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 cover cover that title, you know, but the thank you for rejecting me. It has this subtle messaging of Mm -hmm. rejection is redirection or rejection Mm -hmm. is God's protection and all of those things that we hear floating around, but without it being just called that, you know? And right, so right. I, I was like, and that's my personality. My personality is mm-hmm. a little more like fun and a little playful. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I like this. It seems more inviting mm-hmm. uh, than just something that's like a big stamp with like rejected on the front, you know? Yes. <laughs> and I, I think that there's so much power in being able to, so, so like I read the title and I, I hear the purpose and I hear the pain within it. Yeah. Like there's no way that you can get to a place that says, thank you for rejecting me without a store, some stories that have come yeah. with that, you know? And so you can hold, and one of the big things that we believe is that you have to be able to hold both hurt and hope, grief and gratitude, yeah. Yeah. you know, that these are to become like Christ, which yeah. I think I'll oftentimes to become like Christ often we think is the absence of pain or like the arrival. And the reality is it's like, no, Christ up until his very last breath experienced hurt and hope. That was the trueness of who he was as a savior. And so when I read this, thank you for rejecting me, it it makes me want to pause and go first, what's the stories that caused that title? But then also in my own life, what are the places that I can start to be thankful for, even though it feels so painful. I I do want to read from page um, 84 and I I want to get a little bit into your story, but I loved, it says here, what if there were a way to truly see and embrace that we are welcome just as we are, despite feeling misunderstood and rejected by others. And you give four bullet points and I want to read them really quickly because they're so good. You said, I believe there is, which leads me to asking the following. How do we find the courage to walk in self-acceptance in environments where people choose not to fight against their preconceived ideas or get out of their comfortable bubbles to learn more about us? How do we feel loved even when we don't feel as though we belong? Where do we really belong? And is it possible to find that place for ourselves? And the last one here along the way, how can we accept and maybe even anticipate the hard truth that sometimes we might be misunderstood? These questions are 
palpable to the human experience to belong, to be accepted, to be loved, to be seen. And so this begs the curiosity, if you're writing these questions, they must have been questions that you wrestled with, that you had to stir with, that you had to contend for to show up as Kate and yet have experienced rejection. So Mm -hmm. I'm just so curious to take us on a little bit of a journey. What was it like for you? Maybe young Kate, cute little young Kate bopping around the world. Um, and maybe you take us on a journey of when, when was one of the first times that you can remember where rejection, which I believe is a tentacle from the enemy, right? To keep us bound, um, to keep us to not see the fullness of who God created us to be, to keep Mm -hmm. us small and quiet. Do you remember like a time when that kind of was one of the first times you began to feel that experience that think that, um, even Mm -hmm. early on? Yeah. So, oh gosh, I love that. And I love, I opened up to page 84 as you read it. I was like, oh yes. And so you read it so powerfully. Carrie, you're amazing. Uh, So I love this question because I think we can all think back and think to a time like, man, that was a moment, whether it's a mm-hmm. big moment or a small moment. And that's the thing. It doesn't matter if it's a big moment or a small moment, because in fact, even all the small moments can accumulate to feel like big moments, you know, 100%. and create these feelings. I talk about in chapter two, how we start as this innocent, beautiful, like girls. Um, God created us that way as these children with innocence and purity. And then little things just continue to happen through our lives and our childhoods that we don't have control over. And it's like these little shame scarves get thrown over us. And mm-hmm. over time, it builds up to separate us from the identity that God so beautifully created our inherent worth and value and who we uniquely are. And so because of all the shame and all these messaging and all these little rejections, we are we move away from the core of our beauty and who God created us to be. So for me, um, as a young girl, I would say the moment started with my family. Um, I Mm. love my I love my parents. They are Mm. amazing people, but they had a tumultuous marriage. Uh, they are no longer together. They were divorced when I was about 18, 19 years old. Uh, but growing up, you know, and I mean, all my formative years, I lived under that house where yeah. they, they were constantly fighting and they were really consumed with their issues. And while I don't blame them for that, it did send messaging to me, you know, sure. it sent messaging where I started internalizing that and saying, what is wrong with me? Uh, and, and what can I do to stop this pain? What can I do to earn their love and attention? Mm. And maybe just if I was better, or if maybe if I was the best, then all of this wouldn't be happening. And so this developed a pattern for me in which I felt like I had to earn or do things to be accepted and to be seen. And again, Mm. I don't blame them. That just, that can happen. You know, like if I was in a tumultuous marriage, it'd be really hard for me to balance like Mm. what I was experiencing with my spouse and also showing consistent love to my child. And so, Mm -hmm. um, so for me, I think the biggest earliest rejections I could think of was, is really with my family. It started with, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I mean, I'm doing, I'm trying to do all these things and I still don't feel like I'm, I'm seen, you know, I still don't feel like I, instead of, you know, I maybe, I also got louder in order to be seen. And then when I got louder, I was just kind of like, Kate, be quiet. Kate, Mm -hmm. you're so dramatic. Kate, you're so loud. Yes. And so then I was like, oh my gosh, well, I don't know what to do. Like, do I get louder? Do I perform the Mm -hmm. best? Like, how do, how do I make them see me? And so I started this habit of just 
hey, if I could just perform at everything, something at some point in time, my parents will start seeing me and loving me. Um, Mm -hmm. And this formed a lot of different insecurities um, within myself because there's no way Carrie, that we can be the best at everything we do. It's just, right. woo. Yep. So when Too I wasn't, pressure. right? Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. but I I put that pressure on myself. I also home, uh, I formed a really bad habit of control. Like I needed to control everything because my family life felt so mm-hmm. out of control mm-hmm. that I was like, if only I could control my work or my studies at the time in school, if only I could control my friends um, and all of these other elements, then, then I would feel loved. And so all of the love, I felt I was receiving was super conditional. And, um, and here's where the, the reality of how that developed in my, to my relationship with God as well, because oftentimes I believe the way we experience God sometimes has to do with how we also experience our, the love from our family. And so absolutely for me, I I love my dad, but he was passive. He was just more passive. He didn't Mm -hmm. really say outrightly that he was that proud of me or that he loved Mm -hmm. me when I was younger. He does today. But Mm -hmm. in those years, I just, my dad was really quiet and he didn't say those things. And so I started associating God as the same kind of father, you know, that Mm -hmm. God was a passive God, that God needed me to perform to to care about me, that he didn't really, I, I, he wouldn't actually say he loved me, you know? So even though I knew in the Bible, it says God loves you, I could say that, but I didn't really feel it in my heart. I was like, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess he loves me, but like, I don't really, I don't know that to the depths of my soul. Mm -hmm. And so I would, the only times I would really turn to God is when I felt like I needed to repent, you know, like, I'm so sorry, like, here are the things that I did wrong. You know, again, Mm -hmm. it's like to this forming into this perfection image. And so, um, Mm. this is where I just, over the years, I think this is, these are the biggest things that shaped how I saw myself, how I saw God, and then how I, in tandem saw men, which is a big part of my story. And, you know, going into that is a whole nother deal, but, Mm -hmm. um, I would say the original rejection started with my family and just feeling like I was not really seen or truly loved by them. Uh, okay. So, so much of what you're saying is so good. And, and I, I just want to like help the listeners really, really hear what Kate's saying. What she's yeah. describing really is in essence, the garden. Um, she's, she's describing, um, shalom, peace, right standing, all is good. Life is good. There is a, a, a beautiful place for her to thrive and grow. And then, so it's shalom. It's this place of peace, right? And then in comes something of the world where shalom shatters, peace, peace shatters. And that is this tumultual relationship in her home with her, with the people that she looks to, to bring peace, to actually sustain her life. And so in order for her to survive, she had to get big and she had to perform and control to kind of be noticed and belong. And some of that is just a survival technique so that I don't lose love. The, yeah. Even the scraps of love that I'm getting or the scraps of attention, it's what I know and I don't want to lose it. And mm-hmm. there begins the narrative, right? And it's the whisper, the whisper of an enemy that says, if you were something different, they would stay together. They would be nicer to you. They would speak kinder. They would, you know, show attention, whatever it may be, the whispers begin and then becomes the agreement, the contract, if you will, that you has said, kind of signed yourself in agreement with this enemy that you didn't even know, like you, you didn't know you were doing it, but there was this contract or this agreement that said, I am not worth 
loving or I'm not worth staying for or rejection is kind of going to be my be my story and I've got to do everything in my power to keep everything controlled so that I don't have to feel that in the bigness of what it feels like. Am I tracking pretty Oh girl, like, that is it. Yes, perfect. Yeah, so I <laughs> yeah. I I cuz I want the I want the listeners to understand that yes, this is Kate's story. But this is the age-old story. This is actually our Ur stories. This is where we come from biblically that it's not that it happened in the garden. It's that it's continually happening today that we were, we were made for the garden. We were made for shalom. We were made for peace. And the enemy is hell-bent on getting that peace to shatter so that we move into these behaviors that, that kind of keep us alive and surviving but what God is really inviting us into is this place of healing and tending and surviving. And there, there has been a shift for you. Yeah. So you have recognized, you've, I can tell you've done a lot of work. You must have done a lot of therapy because I can hear yeah. it in your voice. Oh, man. Just a little bit. Just a little yeah. bit of therapy, Carrie. Okay. You are, you are good. The 11 listeners and I have pretty much bought houses for <laughs> all of our therapists. So it's fine. Yes. Oh, uh, my God. But, but what was the, tra- like, so you have experienced rejection early on. Here is a formidable man of your father, which I know that that's a tender place to talk about because we have loyalties that come mm-hmm. into play, but we also have to be honest. And so I thank you for your candidness. And we understand that there's an honor that comes in, in position, but there's also the, the, the enemy partners with the people that love us and they, mm-hmm. he just does. And that's how insidious he is and terrible he is. But mm-hmm. we look at that and we go, all right, you, you knew that one of your first loves was a place that was passive and it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of words of kindness and care needed for your fragile heart um, and what you needed in that moment. And that moved into kind of relationships with men mm-hmm. and, and a tumultuous kind of ride of what it's been like to be in those relationships what was maybe like the, I don't want to say like ground zero or bottom, you know, but the point in which something had to produce within you a book that said, thank you for rejecting me. Tell, tell me a little bit more about what that kind of moments were. Yeah, I will, I will bring you to like my darkest hour because it's, you know, it's that there has been dark hours, but this is one of my darkest hours. So, uh, this kind of performance and mentality of needing validation and being seen through performance led me to the dating scene of, you know, honestly at an early age, just being obsessed with boys and then wanting to date and wanting guys to like me. And then at the age of 16, I remember moving schools and I had like 16 boyfriends that year, girl. And Mm -hmm. I was so afraid of them rejecting me that I would just, you know, date them for like a week or two and then be like, okay, I'm done with you. On to the next, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. I didn't want to be rejected. I was like, I will feel the feel good things. And as soon as I feel like you might not be interested anymore, I'm going to end it first and I'm going to keep mm-hmm. moving forward. And so I had 16 boyfriends that year. Uh, after that moved into a very long five-year relationship. Um, after that dated somebody else. And then after that, I ended up in another relationship. And before I talk about that relationship, I want to just point something out that I'd recognize about myself now through all the therapy. Uh, but I realized that my internal dialogue through all these years on the outside, maybe I looked great to people, quote unquote, mm-hmm. like I was, you know, a yearbook editor. I was a straight A student. I got into a great school. I dressed well, all these things. But on the inside, I had actually mm-hmm. formed a lot of tendencies that were really negative and very self-abusive. Um, mm-hmm. I berated myself with so much criticism. I started mocking myself internally. I enforced lies of unworthiness and shame and insignificance 
inadequacy, insecurity, even ugliness. I started forming really deep body shame. And so this was happening a lot internally, just internally. If I didn't do things perfectly, I would shame myself immediately. You shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. You know better, Kate. And you know, that just this constant cycle of it's, I'm never enough. Even for myself, I'm never enough. Like I can never uphold the the standard that I have in my head of myself. And mm. so eventually after college, I, you know, dated, 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 and then finally found myself in a toxic and very abusive relationship. And I hadn't really dated a toxic man to this extent before, but this guy was incredibly toxic. And I didn't mm. have the tools to even really recognize any sort of toxic person in my life. And uh, he was definitely narcissistic. I ended up in that relationship with him and in an abusive cycle, married around for two and a half years. And um, that relationship was abusive in all the ways. You know, mm. it was, it started emotionally abusive just with lying and with there being a lot of other girls and me bringing that up and him discounting and deflecting and blaming it on me and, you know, saying the the terms of the phrases like, what are you talking about? You're making that up or yeah. you're so dramatic and man, you just, you have insecurity issues and all of that, even though he was talking to females behind my back, it led to uh, from emotional abuse to then physical abuse to sexual abuse. And I was in that relationship for two and a half years. And mm -hmm. I do believe that because there was also a lay a level of me already believing a lot of those things about myself, I believe it was easier for me to accept that kind of treatment. Even though there were part of there was part of me that knew, of course, this you shouldn't be treated this way. Mm. But because I already entered it with this need to be accepted, need to be validated, and also a belief system about myself that was very critical and very negative. I stayed in this relationship. And um, so the lowest point of my life was after that relationship. And um, it took a long time, if I'm being honest, to really yeah. move away from this man. Uh, if anyone listening has been through any sort of abusive situation, um, well, the stat is that you leave a relation, an abusive relationship seven times on mm. average before you really leave it for good. And my story is that I probably left 30 times <laughs> before I actually left for good. Uh, and um, when I finally did leave, uh, it was it was this moment where I started facing the fact that, man, I, for 10 years, had never been single. Uh, at that point, it was 10 years of just constant dating from 14 to 24. And mm. I realized, man, like I've just been performing and working and straight A student and having all the boyfriends. And my identity was so wrapped up in all of those things that like as soon as this relationship got stripped away and my biggest fear was then people at work finding out who I really was, I realized, man, like who is Kate outside of all of that? Mm -hmm. And so my darkest moment was, was really there. And two weeks after my abusive relationship, I was on my way to church and a lot of my friends actually had no idea what was going on at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember going to church. I dislocated my shoulder, walking down a staircase <laughs> And uh, in the subway, I went to the hospital and a friend of mine came to the hospital and while on all the drugs that they give you when you're really in pain, um, I ended up revealing to her like what actually happened. And Ugh. I just remember remembering thinking like, wow, like I'm sitting here wounded and just hating myself, honestly, if I'm being honest. And mm -hmm. 
telling this friend felt like the most, like I was so afraid to tell her. And I remember even on all the medicine, I was like, I'm still afraid to tell this person because what is she going to think of me if she knew that all of this was going on behind the scenes? Mm. Um, and the very last night of abuse, um, that was a few weeks before that, um, the abuse had got so bad that Carrie, I convinced myself that I was making all of it up. Like I truly mm -hmm. convinced myself that this couldn't be happening. He's right. He really wasn't doing those things. And when he was again, abusing me in this horrible, horrible night, the only thing I could think to do while it was happening was I needed to record it. Mm -hmm. And so I remember reaching to my phone and just like, if only I could hit the record button so that I have this later to make sure I know that I didn't make this up, you know, that mm. this is really happening. Like I'm really being treated this way. This is, and so I recorded it. And that day at the hospital, a few weeks later with my dislocated shoulder, I shared that recording with this friend and man, my fear was that still, even with the recording, people wouldn't believe me, but mm. she just b broke down crying and was like, Kate, I can't believe that this has been happening for all this time. Mm. Oh, girl, this could make me want to cry right now. Like, yeah, seriously. I feel it. I mean, um, yeah. I just want to pause for a second because, yeah. first of all, mm. it is such an honor to hold your story. <laughs> and what you have walked in and... I, I think the whole time, I mean, I keep wanting to check in, like, how's your body <laughs> saying you're, you're having to, you, you, we're talking about your book. There's a lot that you have offering out there, but also you are a real person with a real story and a real heart and all that we put out into the world, especially for us that are kind of go-getters. We share these places because I have these stories too. And yet every time we share them, they really, we have to access a part of us that will always be tender, yeah. um, that, that will always have to fight that like, that was really hard to hold that. And there's, God has done so much work, but in our humanity, there is still such tenderness around, around these words, you know, these words yeah. that are being said. And I think the whole time I'm listening, I'm going, man, so early on for you, love was widowed. Love died. There was so many places that even, you know, again, I don't need to protect your parents, so you can go ahead and protect them if you want. But there is so many places where I see a little heart that was like, man, I... I want to be loved. Like I want to be seen and loved. And there was such a narrative that love has died. And, and like this kind of like this widowed nature of, of such big goodness. And so, like, you have so much delight about you. There is a very like delightful childlike, but I don't mean that in immaturity. I mean that in, in innocence and goodness around you and such an assault mm -hmm. again and at every turn such an assault against your, your love for love and your desire for love. And, and I, I can see you right now as you're telling me this story and, and you know, you're saying the story really fast, but, and oftentimes when we talk about really hard things, we talk about it fast because it's yeah. hard, it's hard, you know, but I, I can see you laying there in that bed and such a desperation to show your friend this video and even in that, like, will you even pull your love away if this is not true? And such a, such a lover of love, such a lover of love. And yet at every turn, it is continually like reinforced through the enemy of uh, that love has died. And so yeah. everything possible to keep a scrap 
of love. Um, and so here in that moment, you, you show this video, you have someone actually enter into the grief with you, which is so it actually allows you to face the shame rather than run from it, yeah. allowed you to engage the shame, to actually engage the trauma, which is the source and root. And, and then to grieve with someone and share with someone, was that kind of the moment of you trajectorily kind of going, I need to like, what was, what, what happened after that? What was, yeah. what was the narrative that began to shift or, or well, I'm just curious. Oh man. Like the first of her just showing emotion and empathy and care. Like mm. I do believe empathy can be like the greatest bomb for our soul. Yep. Just somebody who is like, yep. oh my gosh, like come here. Like I feel this with you, you know? Mm. And you're like, wait, really? Like I feel like so much of our life we spent just, will you see me? Like, I mean, that's what I've been saying mm -hmm. this whole yep. time. It's like, will you see me? Will you believe me? Will mm -hmm. you enter into this with me in some way, whatever way I'm you childlike, can? Childlike, right? So yes. kind and childlike. Yes. I love, I love that. It's so yes. genuine. Mm -hmm. And so this friend did. And then I think after that, it, it was like the, the, my little door crack opened up, like letting somebody in then brought me two days later, a best friend of mine that I believe was like such a divine moment in my life. This friend and I had actually started work the same exact day. I worked in a high fashion company in New York city at the time. And, um, but we, I had seen her that first day when we walked in for orientation, thought she was the cutest girl I've ever seen, but we never connected. I just saw her in the halls. I never knew she was a Christian, nothing. Mm -hmm. And the day after that a day in the hospital, a friend was like, Hey, I think there's actually a Christian at your office. You should reach out to her. She's this really cute Asian girl. And I was like, I know exactly who you're talking about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I ran up to her in the halls with my sling, um, that Monday of work and told her like, are you a Christian? Oh my gosh, we should be friends. <laughs> and she came over that night and this was just like the, again, the second layer of where I feel like God was like, Hey, I see you and using mm -hmm. people on earth to be like, I see you. Yep. I hear you. You're not alone. My friend came over and, um, she got me, she, she went to the store, got me some things. It was so sweet. And we just were connecting on my couch. I remember us sitting there and she said, you know, okay, I, don't really know you and I don't know why, but I feel prompted to share something with you that I've basically never shared with people. And the Holy Spirit prompted her to share her story of abuse that had just happened mm. to her that summer. And as she was sharing, I just wept and I was like, oh my gosh, this just happened to me. And wow. that girl, Nika is her name, is my very best friend to this day. And I believe that God brought us in that exact moment, that divine timing together to walk that season out, that season of healing side by side. She, We worked at the same office. Every day we got to see one another, support one another. It ended up, we lived in Manhattan. We ended up living living on the same street, Carrie, like wow. that does not happen in New York no. city. We lived on the same block, like basically next door. Wild. And so God used that to then be somebody that was literally walking with me arm in arm through this journey and just slowly through time. Then of course, going to therapy. And I went, I started going to a new church and having a really deep inner healing experiences. And mm -hmm. just in that season and having literally people come around me, be the hands and feet of Jesus here. Uh, it was the, it was the first time I started feeling, man, maybe I'm not alone in this journey and maybe mm -hmm. I can reaccept love into my life. Mm -hmm. And what were the things that I believed about myself? And, and part of this season also 
was cutting out men entirely for me. Mm -hmm. I, I realized like I had to recognize some of my vices and the things that were keeping me stuck in this cycle. And one of those things was just men in general, any sort of men validation, <laughs> male validation. Mm -hmm. And I, so I cut men out for quite a, a season of my life to really start on this healing process. So, uh, so powerful. So, <laughs> I mean, here, here God comes into your story and has been really invading your story through, through various ways. And when you were ready, you were really able to engage even more baby step, baby step, baby step to kind of start walking towards this healing. I, I think what I'm struck by Kate is it's your commitment to goodness. There's something about you that just in what you're telling me in my story, like, I mean, I work with women and men just all the time in their story. It's what I do. And, and, and there is some people where life genuinely takes them out. They become jaded and bitter and hard. And I, I, I know that there is definitely that internal dialogue that was bitter and hard, but there was like this war. I hear it like this war within you that was I mean, this is how queens talk, but they, that like, there's goodness for the land. There's goodness for the land. They're like, I, I can see it, even though I'm not experiencing it because my own widowed heart is lost love. Uh, but, but like, there's this, there's this war I hear in your voice and even in the story that, and yet there's goodness for the land. I could, I believe that there can be goodness for the land, you know? And, and so there's just something so strikingly stunning about in the midst of, really hell. Um, there was still like this, I don't know, I can feel it with my fingers, but this like palpable taste of, and yet goodness has not died, even though love has. Um, and I feel like love has died and I feel like I'm trying to get counterfeit love. I, there is still this like gut in your gut, this sense of I think there's still goodness for me, even if it was like a like the tiniest little seed. It's what I hear in your voice, and I, I think that's what makes me so drawn to you, and have been following you, and again, just you know, stalking you. But, um, but as really, yes, as we do. But also just drawn to your book because yes. we need more people that that will speak on behalf of the kingdom that will speak. And I don't mean like the, just the fullness of the kingdom of God, but truly like a kingdom that says, Hey, for those out there that have felt rejection, pain is pain. It just comes in different packages, right? Like there might be someone listening that has never experienced abuse. And yet I would venture to say they have because yeah. abuse is it, 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 trauma is anytime we experience powerlessness anytime. Yes. So, yes. you know, they, they, by definition or layman's definition, trauma without it being tended to or cared for produces shame and shame produces mm -hmm. hate of self or others. And that's exactly what you showed us and what happened. There was a moment you were little, you needed care. You needed comfort. You needed someone to grieve with you. When that wasn't offered, it moved to shame. That shame propelled you into really contempt for yourself. Mm -hmm. And yet when you began to share that, God moved you into the places of engaging the shame, tending to the trauma, and then moving you into really places of connection. And then what I would say really is your calling. And that's mm -hmm. what we kind of talk about here. We talk mm -hmm. about this hell no, 
this hell no, not on my watch. Will this happen? I think that a, a fully redirected heart, a heart that's been tended to, something begins to happen in the human spirit when we have tasted deep pain and it has been tended to well. You put it pain to purpose. And I want to know, as people are writing, reading this, as they're hearing your voice, I would love to hear, and, and I'm just putting this on you, so if we, if we can get to it, great. But what, what would you start to say, you know what, this is, this is becoming my hell no, not on my watch. I don't want other people to experience this. What, what would you say that is? Yeah. So, oh my gosh. And you just said that so beautifully. Carrie, I got to affirm that you are such a, you have such a way with words and just taking someone's story and like making it so digestible for people. So I just want to honor you in that because it's beautiful as I'm experiencing it. I feel like the weight of it and I feel blessed and honored by it. Well, you make Um, it easy because you're very honest. so. Uh, So the hell no. I think the first hell no for me was this moment of okay, I'm living with these self-abusive tendencies and they're at first. So in the first wake of a rejection of any kind, whether it is abuse or whether it's a heartbreak or whether it's an abandonment or whatever it is, uh, I think that's not the moment to look at yourself and say, what did I do <laughs> here? Right. That's, it's instead the moment to press into to God and to move, not look into the why this all happened, but what do I do each day to just press into God's goodness mm-hmm. and for that goodness and grieve, but also cling to hope within it because hope is not the absence of pain, but it is holy holding on to knowing the character of God and knowing that there will be future good here mm-hmm. somehow, some way in his time. So immediately in the rejection, how are you moving forward, grieving, hopefully? Um, and then at some point you're going to reach a moment where you have, you know, you've picked yourself up a little bit, maybe not all the way, but you're like, okay, I'm feeling strong enough to now take a little bit of stock to say, what role have I played in some of this, these areas of my life? Hmm. You know, and, and this comes with a lot of compassion and curiosity yes. Yes. Uh, because th- we can go one of two ways here. You either can go into the grace and the compassion or a lot of us want to go into just shaming ourselves for the way we've shown up. Mm-hmm. And again, as we've said so many times here, that shame will only further disconnect you from God. It is what the yep. enemy wants to use. It is a completely soul eating emotion and it will yep. separate you from your true um, identity, belonging, the core of innocence of who you are. So yes. we want to look at our story and our participation in our story, not with a lens of shame, but with the lens of curiosity and compassion. Mm say, okay, now that I've started this healing process, now that I'm grieving and now that I feel like I'm getting up again a little bit, how can I take some ownership of just how I've shown up and what are my tendencies and patterns that I can learn to shift? And so this started happening for me in the wake of my abusive relationship, but it's been a journey of continuing down this path, you know, like, let's be honest. So, but my hell no is this, you know, it's like, okay, so I, those things were not fair. Being abused was not fair. Heartbroken in these ways, abandoned what happened with my family. That was not fair. Right. But what I'm doing now with this pain and my healing, that's on me. And that's Mm -hmm. for me to own and for me to transform. And if Mm -hmm. I want this pain to be turned into purpose, I need to be able to partner with God to be able to make that happen. It's not just going to happen by me not actually partnering with that and taking action and Mm -hmm. taking ownership. And so I had to face these belief systems that I had about myself. I had to get curious about how did I end up in these places? You know, what, Mm -hmm. what, 
things that where I was I looking for that I wasn't getting? How can I start bringing those things and providing those things for myself? You mentioned like I was looking for a lot of counterfeit love, a hundred percent. I mean, that was it. I'm looking for somebody else to fill my love bucket entirely because I didn't have very much love for myself and I didn't really believe truly from head to heart that God loved me, you know? Right. So I'm How like looking you? for it. Right. You have no, you had no reference for that. Bless your heart. Like you're just trying to mitigate the heart, the, the hatred. You're trying to mitigate the trauma. You're trying to mitigate the shame. And in the only way that a little tiny brain can do, and that is to survive and to stay away from harm. So yes, when you talk about empathy, I mean, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm like, how could you, you know, like that's where the empathy comes in. And then the curiosity of going, okay, how now do I move? You know, but you didn't, it wasn't like you just woke up one day and were like, you know what? Love has died. Who cares? I'm just going to look for counterfeit. No, this was a narrative that had been poured over you and an unwilling, unknowing contract you signed with an enemy that was hell bent on keeping you quiet because you love big, Kate. You love big. You are loyal and you are kind and you love big and he knows it. And he knows that you unleashed to know your purpose on this earth will actually tend to such a big kingdom where they feel loved and cared for. He can't have you walk in your purpose and passion because he knows the kingdom's going to be too well taken care of. So I just stopped to say, and I, I say this to people that are listening because it's like, it was like, oh, she, she looked for counterfeit love. No, she didn't know. You didn't know. And you did the best you could at that time to mitigate the pain you were experiencing because there was an enemy that knew that you were created for such, I don't love like that. To be honest, I'm a prophet, but I don't love, I'm not like a queen. Like you are a queen. You see the kingdom, you see the systems, you know them in place. You want to keep all of the people in the kingdom loved and safe. I can tell it's just your driver. So why would he want you to be free in that realm? Because he knows that when you are free, you will rattle hell. You just will. So I just say all of that because I'm like, nah, I'm not going to, yeah, you didn't know. And yet now, you know, and so your hell no is now that I've so bluntly cut you off. No, I love it. I'm like, please. I was, I feel served right there. I'm like, yes, girl. but now there's a hell no, right? There's a hell no on behalf of the kingdom. Yes. The hell no. A hundred percent. And now that I see that and can see like, wow, there is a gift within me. And once I can, and there's a purpose within me and there's a beauty within me. And it's not, the purpose isn't what everybody else wants me to be or needing the love from everybody else. It's knowing that I already have, and I was born with all the love that I'll ever need in, in Christ, you know, like, and knowing that I was uniquely and beautifully created exactly how I am. And that, you know, I don't have to morph or perform or change Mm -hmm. to be all of those other things for everybody else. Um, and so that, and uh, taking that, that season, which I would call like a reckoning season of reckoning with those parts of my story and looking at it. And with that reckoning, you know, and reconciling, looking back to say, first of all, get curious, but second of all, also appreciate the moments where I did the best that I could, where I knew like, man, given the circumstances, I was really doing the best that I could. Mm. That compassion, you know, like add that love for myself. And now that I can see it all and break those pieces down, I'm like, okay, we can see it. I see where I've gotten to where I am today. And that's like the whole sciencey thing of this is that there's actually neural pathways in our brains that are like, 
there, it's really easy for me to go back down those neural pathways when it's been there since I've been a child, you know? And so, but I can now, as I begin to see the story in the fullness of how I've arrived here, now I can start making a new path. And, but the reality is making that new path for me still took a lot of practice and took Mm -hmm. a lot of accountability and took a lot of working on it. And there've been times even today that it's like, oh, it's not that I never, ever have a negative thought ever again, or a self-shaming thought or that, or even dip my toes sometimes into self-hatred. But this time I have, now I have more tools to be able to go back to that path that I'm more easily walking down today, mm. you know, but it's, it's such a journey. And what I, what happened for me is like, we just cannot give up on the process. Yes. Uh, because the enemy, once you unlock this moment of like the hell no moment, like you're talking about mm-hmm. Carrie, it's like, what you're even worse for him. He's like, I'm going to come at you even more now. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. um, you've mm-hmm. unlocked it, but now I'm going to attack you that much more. Mm-hmm. And so there, you're going to have moments of feeling tempted to go back in those directions or to feel, um, like you, you want to succumb to the pain and you want to live back in the victim mentality. And so, but now you have the awareness, you know, now you have the awareness to say, no, I don't have to. I'm not partnering right. with those spirit of those lies anymore. Right. I'm I'm not going to partner. You actually have authority over it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you, can be like, you have to leave in the name of Jesus, and I send you to yep. the feet of God to be judged for what you're doing to me. Yes, that's right. like that's it, right? Like, and right. and you have come to that place, and that is where I'm like. I, I love, I just want, I mean, it's my, the cry of my heart, everything you're saying, I'm like, you could literally be one of our coaches. Like everything <laughs> you're saying is exactly what we preach at Freedom Academy and to ha- giving people the tools to be able to understand how their brain works, to understand mm-hmm. the enemy, and also to understand their calling and their purpose that's unique actually to their story. When you embrace, mm-hmm. when you engage your story, you actually begin to embrace your purpose. And that's yes. basically what you're saying right here. Mm-hmm. And thank you for rejecting me. Of course, we don't want the rejection. Of course, that's not what we want for our lives, but we live in a fallen world. So what are we going to do? Are we going to run and hide and hate and contempt the shame that we carry? Or are we going to turn and engage it and allow God to tend to it so that we can start to move into going? I mean, I see you, Kate. I watch you. I watch how you tend to all of these girls' hearts that are single and you know the men that you work with and the podcasts that you're on and the, the conventions and the conferences that you do. And it is all around this one messaging that what was meant for evil, God is using for good in his hands. Your heart, your story being tended to actually produces purpose and power. And I just love it. It's just, it's incredible. Um, I could talk to you for hours. Really, I could, because we could just go on and on. Um, But I I do want to make sure that everyone that's listening knows where can they, where can they dive into the goodness and the care? See, I think this book is not just going to be a book for you to read. I truly believe that this book is going to be a book that engages your heart with good care. And that is what you needed when you were little. It's what you need today. It's what I need. It's what our listeners need. It's what our friends need is good tending care, just like in the garden when God said, will you tend to the things that I've created? And so I, I want to know where can they get this? How can they follow you? What, what can they do to get more of the amazing Kate? 
Oh my gosh, you are incredible. Well, I would love it. I'd be so honored. Anytime somebody re- buys the book and lets me know, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is truly an honor. Thank you for wanting it's to happening. be. It's happening. It's all happening. Know? Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like an honor. Uh, but yeah, thank you for rejecting me. This is the weirdest thing. It's available where all books are sold. Um, I'm like, <laughs> I, when, girl, when I saw it on Target.com, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Target. <laughs> like, I was so thrilled. I've arrived. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm at Target, everyone. Okay. That is or so just, amazing. Yeah, but I mean, it's just fun. I'm like, this is a pinch me moment. I'm at Target, mm-hmm. uh, Walmart, uh, Amazon. You can get it primed to your door. I mean, that is just amazing. And I, I actually believe it's a really good gift for friends um, as well. Anybody yeah. who's struggling with rejection, self-rejection. I think that's why I titled the book this way. So you're not giving them a book that's like, you've been rejected. Here's right. your book. You know, <laughs> like, right, 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 right. So you could feel comfortable like gifting this to somebody knowing that it will come alongside of them. So I would be honored if they, if, if you guys check it out anywhere, you could also go to thankyouforrejectingme.com. <laughs> yes, it's going to be great. And I really do, I really do believe that in the hands of people that need to hear kindness and goodness, um, mm-hmm they're going to get it in this book. The Bible says that the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. And I just believe when you wrote this book, you wrote it from that place, the little girl of goodness and believing with, with all that you had seen and all that the rejection that had come, your goodness never died. And I'm just so thankful that um, the Lord just has allowed it to bloom even more. Um, and you stepped more and more into into like the places of empowering. I'm going to leave you guys with this quote and you can go check out Kate. Um, she has heart of dating. You can check that out. She's, uh, I think it's cat. Is it Kateness or Katniss? Yes. Or how to- we mm-hmm. do it Kateness. I know, but it yeah. does look like Katniss, but K-A-I-T-N-E-S-S. Yes. I mean, I figured since your name is Kate, but I don't know if it was a nod to like, you know, Hunger Games right, or something. Hunger Games, um, you can get, right? I mean, the Katniss is fierce. Let's be That's honest. right. You can get, thank you for rejecting me. Gosh, anywhere books are sold. I'm going to end with this. Page 107, conquering your biggest heartbreak lies requires believing them so deeply that they replace the broken parts of your identity with new, empowering, grounded truths. They need to become your truth. Kate, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, for being honest with us, and for allowing our listeners to know that their story is not over. Thank you so much for being with us. And we just love you and champion you right over here at The Honest Pod. Thank you, Carrie. This has been so life-giving. Love you, girl. Bye. We are so thankful for the talented Tanya Godsey offering her amazing music with us. You can find Tanya on Spotify and other streaming platforms. And hey, we would love to answer any questions you may have for us right here on the show. So you can send us those questions to hello at thehonestpodcast.com. And as always, thank you for letting us share about the not so easy stories that make us and entering into the honesty and courage it takes to love who you were created to be. So until the next time, friends, may God's love and kindness be an offering to your heart, both now and always. (laughs) 